Amen. Please be seated. And please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. Matthew, chapter 3. I'm going to read and preach verse 1 through 12 this morning. As we continue in our series on the Gospel of Matthew, we looked at the genealogy of Jesus and the birth of Jesus in chapter 1, and then the early years of Jesus in chapter 2. And we've seen that Jesus is the son of David, that is the promised king in the line of David, a ruler who would shepherd God's people Israel. We've seen that he's also the son of Abraham, the promised offspring of Abraham, through whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. And we've seen that he is the son of God, second person of the Trinity, the God-man who the wise men came to worship and Herod tried to destroy, whose life was providentially preserved from the threat of Herod so that he could go on to fulfill his ministry and mission, which was to live and die and rise again to save us from our sin and give us eternal life. And this morning, as we turn the page to chapter three, we're really turning a corner in this gospel. We fast forward about 25 years to when Jesus was an adult, about to begin his public ministry. And we're told about a man named John the Baptist, who as I'm sure you probably know, prepared the way for Jesus, hence the sermon title, the forerunner of the king. And we'll listen in on his preaching in the wilderness, which was a call to repentance, We'll see how he opposes the Pharisees and calls them to bear fruit in keeping with their profession of repentance. And we'll see how he points people to Jesus. Jesus who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We'll think about what that means together and how it all applies to our lives today. But before we begin, let's pray and we'll ask God's blessing on our time in his word. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for this part of your word and we pray that you would help us to understand it, what it teaches us about repentance and about bearing fruit and about many other things and especially what it teaches us about your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we would be built up in our faith in him through this means of grace by the powerful working of your spirit in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter three, reading verses one through 12. This is the word of God. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But 
when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he, he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. We'll see first how John the Baptist preaches in the wilderness, verses one through six, then how he opposes the Pharisees, seven through 10, and finally how he points to Jesus, verses 11 and 12. And kids, don't forget the key words for kids at the top of the sermon notes there. You can listen for those words while you listen to the sermon along with the rest of the body. So first, John the Baptist preaches in the wilderness. And here we'll consider first what he preached, then who he was, then what he did. In terms of what he preached, we read again in verse one, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The command is to repent and the reason for the command is for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To repent means to turn from sin to God to turn away from sin and to turn back to God. That's what repent means. Our Westminster Shorter Catechism, number 87, asks, what is repentance unto life? And answers, repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. To repent means to turn from sin to God. And John the Baptist is calling his hearers to repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is the saving reign of God in the hearts and lives of his people. The saving reign of God in the hearts and lives of his people. And the Messiah, the promised king, was the one who would usher in this kingdom. And sinners could enter this kingdom and come under the king's saving rule by repenting of their sins and putting their trust in the king. And John is saying that this kingdom of heaven, this saving reign of the Messiah is at hand. As Jesus himself said at the beginning of the gospel of Mark, chapter one, verse 15, the time is fulfilled 
and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. This is what John preached, and we'll come back to it in a minute. Secondly, in addition to what he preached, we are told who he was. Look at verse three. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, quoting Isaiah 40, verse three, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So who was he? Who was John the Baptist? He was the forerunner of the king. He was the one who cried in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. He was the one prophesied in the book of Malachi that Pastor Tim preached through recently. In chapter three, verse one, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. He was a man sent from God, as John tells us in John 1. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him, John 1, 6 and 7. He was a burning and shining lamp or light, John 5, 35 tells us. The angel told his father Zechariah in Luke chapter 1 that many would rejoice at his birth and that he would be great before the Lord and that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and that he would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and that he would go before the Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Jesus himself said in Luke 1, 28, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Matthew identifies John the Baptist with Elijah the prophet. That's the point of verse four in the text. In verse four, again, we read, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Now, kids, I'm sure you probably enjoy honey, probably like honey, but I wonder if you've ever eaten a locust or a grasshopper. Well, some people still eat them today, and for them it's very normal. It's a normal snack for them to eat. And that's what John the Baptist ate while he was in the wilderness. Now, I'm sure if you dipped the locust in the honey, it probably wouldn't taste too bad, but this is what John the Baptist had for his food. And Matthew's Jewish readers would have seen the connection to Elijah when they read this verse. It's very similar to a verse in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 1, 7 and 8. He said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. As Jesus said in Matthew 11, 13 and 14, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So that's who he was. He was the forerunner of the king. Thirdly, we're told what he did. Look at verse five. 
Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So all the people were going out to John from the cities and towns to the wilderness where he was. He wasn't in a great location, but he was preaching the truth, and people came. And he was baptizing them in the Jordan River. This was not Christian baptism, which would come later. It was a sort of temporary baptism by which the people responded to this call to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. By submitting to this baptism, they confessed their sins and professed their repentance in order to prepare the way for the coming of the king of the kingdom of heaven. So this is what John did. He preached, of course, and he baptized He called people to repent and he baptized those who professed repentance. Now for us, as believers today, who've already been baptized with Christian baptism, who've already repented of our sin and put our trust in Christ for our salvation, who've already embraced by faith all that our baptism signs and seals to us, the call to repent, of course, still stands. Repentance is not something we do once and then never do again. Repentance is something we do daily. We need to repent as often as we sin. Just like you don't take a shower just once and then never again, but you shower as often as you get dirty, so when our hearts are dirty from sin. We need to put ourselves under the shower of God's grace by repenting of our sin and confessing it to God and receiving his forgiveness through his son. When we sin, the proper response is not to relent and give in to it further, but to repent and turn from it back to Christ for forgiveness and transformation. The proper response is not to embrace it and follow it. That's what our culture says to do. The proper response is to confess it and to follow Christ, for that is what Scripture says to do. So this call to repent still stands. And like the people who went out to John in the wilderness, we should heed this call every day and repent of our sin and go to Christ for the forgiveness and cleansing we need and only he can give. But not everyone heeded John's call to repent. Some rejected it. Let's consider that now under our second main point. John the Baptist opposes the Pharisees. Look at verse seven. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Who were the Pharisees and Sadducees? Well, if you've been a a Christian for very long, you've probably already learned something about them as you've read the scriptures, but I appreciated the brief description of them in the ESV study Bible. The Pharisees were, quote, a layman's fellowship 
popular with the common people and connected to local synagogues, chiefly characterized by adherence to extensive extra-biblical traditions, which they rigorously obeyed as a means of applying the law to daily life. So they added to the Bible their own traditions and then kept those traditions rigorously and often looked down on others who didn't keep them as well as they did. The Sadducees were, quote, a small group who derived their authority from the activities of the temple. They were removed from the common people by aristocratic and priestly influence as well as by their cooperation with Rome's rule. So the Sadducees were collaborators with the Romans. And they also did not believe in the resurrection or the future state of rewards and punishments. And just like John has some hard words for both groups, Jesus will have hard words for them too, as we'll see. But John says to them here four things. Let's look briefly at them. First, he says at the end of verse seven, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That is, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath since you Pharisees don't think you deserve it and you Sadducees don't even believe in it? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Second, he says in verse eight, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That is, bear fruit to show the genuineness of your repentance, which they weren't doing. Give evidence of a change of heart by a change of life instead of being hypocrites. Third, he says to them in verse nine, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. They presumed that since Abraham was their father, they were good to go with God. They were relying on their external covenant privileges instead of making sure that they had the internal reality as well, the internal reality of real repentance in the heart. And fourth, he says to them in verse 10, even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Similar to what Jesus said in John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned. So both John and Jesus have some hard words for these two groups. And I think we should hear them too. I think we should hear them, we should heed them 
as well. Especially John's words bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We don't want to have just a profession of repentance without bearing the fruit of repentance in our lives, showing that our repentance is real. Just like an apple tree shows that it's an apple tree by bearing apples and shows that it's a good apple tree by bearing good apples, not rotten ones, so we should show the realness of our repentance by bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Of course, our fruit doesn't make our repentance real any more than good apples make the apple tree good. It's the other way around. A real apple tree produces the fruit of good apples, and so real repentance produces the fruit of a changed life. So we should pray for the grace of repentance. And we should pray for the fruit of the Spirit that is in keeping with that repentance. We want to be healthy trees, sturdy and strong, bearing all the different kinds of the fruit of the Spirit in abundance, love and joy and peace and patience and all the rest. Abundant fruit for the glory of God and the good of others. So don't rely on external covenant privileges. Make sure there's real grace in your heart. And if there isn't, the solution is not to try harder to bear more fruit. As author Paul Tripp likes to say, that would be like trying to fix a rotten apple tree simply by stapling good apples to the tree. It wouldn't work because it's not just the fruit that needs to change, the root needs to change. Our hearts need to be changed by the gospel. We need to be born again to be given new hearts. And new hearts will produce good fruit. Hearts that have the real grace of repentance will produce good fruit that is in keeping with repentance. So in light of what we hear, pray for a real work of the Spirit in your heart. Ask God to enable you to truly repent of your sin and to believe in Christ alone for your salvation. And then every day of your Christian life, ask God to enable you to bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. Well, there's one more thing John does here. It's probably what he's most known for. And it's the most important thing he did in his ministry, and that was to point to Jesus. Let's consider that under our third and final point now. John the Baptist points to Jesus. And here he contrasts himself in the first part of verse 11 there with Jesus in the second half of verse 11 and verse 12. Regarding himself, he says in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. I baptize you with water from the Jordan River for repentance as a sign of your repentance in response to the call to repent. I baptize you with water for repentance, but that's all I can do. That's all ministers can do today is to baptize with water. It is Jesus who must baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. It is Jesus who must take 
that outward sign and make it an inward reality in his good time. Only Jesus can cleanse the heart and change a person on the inside. And so John says regarding himself, I baptize you with water for repentance. But then regarding Jesus, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Even though Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to John, as it says, listening to his preaching, submitting to his baptism, John doesn't let all the publicity and popularity go to his head. He points away from himself and points people to Jesus. He says that he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. As he said in John 3, 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. John should be a model for all ministers today and their ministries, for all Christians, really. We must decrease and Christ must increase. The Christian life isn't all about us. The Christian life is all about Christ. Self and the Savior can't be tied for first place in our lives. One must shrink and fade to the background. Let it be self. Let's follow the example of John the Baptist and let self decrease daily and Christ increase continually. John points people to Jesus. He says that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, which no doubt had a fulfillment at Pentecost in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the believers who were gathered and divided tongues as of fire rested on them. But beyond that, this is what happens in conversion. When the Holy Spirit is poured into our hearts to indwell our hearts and to purify us like a refiner's fire and to empower us to walk in holiness. Matthew Henry said, is fire enlightening? So the spirit is a spirit of illumination. Is it warming? And do not our hearts burn within us? Is it consuming? And does not the spirit of judgment as a spirit of burning consume the dross of our corruptions? Does fire make all it seizes like itself? And does it move upwards? So the spirit does make the soul holy like itself and its tendency is heavenward. The Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, illumining our minds, warming our affections, consuming our corruptions, purifying us and preparing us for heaven. John closes with a warning about the final judgment. Look at verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor 
and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The wheat here are his people, and he will gather his wheat into his barn. But the chaff, the unbelievers, he will burn with unquenchable fire. This should cause each of us to ask ourselves a very simple question. Am I wheat or am I chaff? Chaff would be like the Pharisees and Sadducees here who had a profession of repentance, but it was only outward. The shell was there, but the inside was hollow. They didn't have real repentance in their heart or the real fruit of repentance in their lives. Ask yourself, is that me? Or, by the grace of God, am I wheat? You don't have perfect fruit, but you do have some real fruit by the power of the Spirit. There's much sin in your heart, but there's real repentance in your heart too. It's not all for show, it's for real, even though you're not where you wanna be. You long for Christ to increase and for sin and self to decrease. You know your need for the purifying power of the Spirit in your life. You trust in Jesus and your confidence is not in yourself but Him. If that's you, then you can be encouraged by those words and he will gather his wheat into his barn. If that's not you, then ponder those words that follow. But the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. And may those words cause you to truly repent and turn to Jesus, the only savior of sinners. John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus in these verses as the forerunner of the king. He preaches in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He opposes the Pharisees and their false repentance and he points to Jesus who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire and who will gather his wheat into the barn but burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. Two more thoughts by way of application as we draw to a close this morning. First, I think as we step back from all this and take it all in, I think this should give us a sense of urgency in evangelism and missions. The call to repent still stands. The call to flee from the wrath to come still stands because there is a wrath to come. The day is coming when Jesus will clear his threshing floor and whoever is found to be chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. That day is coming. But until that day comes, the door of salvation remains open. The door is Christ himself who saves all who repent of their sin and put their trust in him. 
People need to hear the call to repent. People need to know about the wrath to come. They need to hear about the Savior who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire and who gathers his wheat into his barn. All of this should infuse a sense of urgency into our evangelism, into our missions efforts, our personal evangelistic efforts, our prayers, our working together to reach people as we seek to do in this church. Our support of missions, our involvement in missions, our prayers for the spread of the gospel. All this should give us a sense of urgency in evangelism and missions. Second and finally, all this should remind us that inward transformation is so much more important than outward profession. Again, the Pharisees had the outward profession, but they lacked the inward transformation, didn't they? We may be members of the church. We may have been baptized. We may go to church regularly and read our Bibles daily. We may have all the outward signs of being in a right relationship with God. And all those things are good, of course. But if, like the Pharisees, we lack inward transformation, then we are no better than they are. We must have true inward transformation. We must have real repentance in our hearts. We must have real fruit in our lives that is in keeping with repentance. Which is to say, we must have what only Jesus can give. Only Jesus can baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. The spirit of Jesus that dwells in our hearts, only he can illumine our minds and warm our affections and consume our corruptions. We must rely on him, not our outward profession or privileges. John the Baptist didn't point people to themselves. He pointed them to Jesus. That is where he points us as well through this passage. The forerunner of the king points us to the king. Let us look to him for inward transformation. May we decrease, may he increase daily until he returns. Let's pray together.